Let's pray. Lord, speak to us today. Impress upon us a clear understanding of who you are and how desperate we are for your grace. Teach us, Lord. We love you. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. Some questions have answers that can change your life. Do you think we should? Will it hurt? Would you like to go out? Would you like to come and go to work with us? One question that, that certainly changed the direction of my life was, will you marry me? I'll tell you, when I finally got up the nerve to propose to my wife, you know, of course, she had already picked out the ring, but she had no idea when she was going to get it. When the time came, I put the ring in my pocket and carried it around all day, waiting for the right moment. We, we, we took my dog for a walk on the beach, thinking it would be the perfect place. Only my dog was crazy and, and wouldn't keep it together long enough for me to pop the question. And it was a good thing I didn't have a friend hiding out in the bushes like couples do these days, right? They would have been pretty upset with me and had a good laugh with my dog. We then went out to dinner. I thought this would be the best way to do it. I, I don't remember where we went exactly, but I, all I remember is that it was crazy loud. I thought this isn't right either. Finally, we went to the movie. Time had run out and I couldn't wait any longer, so I put the ring in the popcorn and I Popped the question, right? Get it? <laughs> it? It was funnier at the time. But the problem was the ring was covered in butter and salt, and it kind of fell down in the bucket. I tried, okay? I'm no Casanova. I'll admit that. But I tried. Anyway, Michelle said yes. That's the important thing. And the answer changed my life. You see, oftentimes, it's not so much the question that we're asked, but it's the answer that can bring about drastic change in the direction of our lives. In today's text, we find a question whose answer doesn't just change the life of the one who's answering the question, but actually changes for everyone who's ever lived since then. We see that clearly in today's text. Now remember where we are in the story. We're in the book of Genesis, the beginning of the story. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit has created everything and it's good. Everything works. The land is filled with plants and trees for food. There's no competition for life and survival, right? Everything is blessed. Everything is fruitful and filling the earth. God took soil and he shaped it into a man, filling him with the very breath of God, doing the same thing with the woman after he formed her from the rib of the man. He gave them the Garden of Eden to care for, to steward over, to be his emissary, his representative. It had everything they could want or need. It, it's, it's something we can only imagine. And honestly, we, we really can't even do that because we, we don't have any idea what it may be like to live in a world in perfect harmony. We don't know how long it was between chapter 2 and chapter 3. It could have been days. It could have been years. But it really doesn't matter because in chapter 3, everything changes. Everything changes because of the answer to one question. One question. It's a question that you and I often struggle with today even. In fact, it's the first question in the Bible. We read it in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I have the, the verses here on the screen. Now, 
The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals and the, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we, must not, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, the one asking the question here is a new character in the story, a talking serpent. There have been attempts to explain this talking serpent over the years, right? It's been said that the snake represented Eve's inner thoughts. Or it was a mythological character representing chaos and evil or human curiosity. Others have said that it was a reference to, to ancient myths, re revering the serpent deity. But the traditional opinion of both Jewish and Christian interpreters is that the serpent is serving as an instrument of Satan. That this was a real serpent through which Satan conversed with Eve. And who is Satan? Scripture teaches us that before the creation of the earth, Satan was an angel. An angel who rebelled against God and in punishment was cast down to earth with a third of the angels in the heavens. Ephesians tells us that he became the ruler of the darkness of this world and our tempter. 1 Samuel tells us that he's the father of lies. Revelation describes him as our adversary, a deceiver, and the power of darkness. John, the, the gospel writer, describes him as the one whose mission is to kill, steal, and destroy all that God created. That gives us a pretty good picture of who Eve is dealing with here, right? The fact is, Eve really didn't stand a chance. I and mean, we often judge Adam and Eve for messing up. Like, how could they do that? But, but would we do any better? I mean, we fall to the same temptation all the time. Now, knowing how smart and dangerous Satan is, you might be thinking, why did God allow Satan in the garden in the first place? I mean, he, could, he was sovereign. Well, that's a good question. And we're going to get back to it later. But for now, just realize that Eve didn't have much of a chance facing off against Satan, especially as he came to her in the form of an animal, a snake, one who she had dominion over. You notice, she wasn't even taken aback by talking to her. That made me wonder. Perhaps this wasn't a unique thing in creation as it was designed, right? Adam and Eve had, in the garden, had an ability to commune with nature in ways that are, frankly, are foreign to us. There'd be no reason for alarm. Everything was good. It was very good, actually, right? God, just, just as God had created everything, and they had everything they needed, everything they could want, as much of it as they wanted, just don't eat of that tree. And yet, it was pretty easy to convince Eve that the everything that they had wasn't enough. How did Satan do that? He asked the question. He asked the question. Did God really say? I mean, this question and the way Eve and, and later Adam responded to it would change the course of all of creation for all time. What I want us to see here, though, is that, is that Satan's temptation, how did Satan's temptation become so, so, so irresistible? I mean, his question created confusion, right? That's the first thing he did. He created confusion. Did he really say that? You might hear it today as, are you sure that's what God meant? 
I mean, while God was pretty clear with, with Adam, right? Don't eat it or you will die. I mean, that's pretty clear. The serpent was able to plant a seed of doubt in Eve's mind because after all, she wasn't there to hear what God had said. Maybe Adam had misunderstood. Maybe God didn't really mean for us to take that literally. Maybe, maybe, maybe. If Satan can get us to doubt the clear teachings of his word, he can, Satan can take us anywhere he desires. He wants to create confusion first. And second, Satan always seeks to misrepresent God. To misrepresent the word of God. Look at what the serpent said again in verse 1. In, there in chapter 3, he said, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say? No, that's not what God said. In fact, God said, eat any tree except that one, right? Satan, though, twists the words of God, taking a restriction that was for our good, and he twists it out to paint God as, as one who's withholding good from us. Yeah, a little porn isn't really going to hurt anyone. Why does God care if, what I do with my money? It's, it, isn't life to be enjoyed after all? God is good, and no matter how Satan might attempt to misrepresent him, God seeks to bless us, not deny us. God's, Satan, though, seeks to confuse. He seeks to misrepresent what God meant to protect us as a sense of denial. And third, Satan's question gives false confidence. You won't die. What? Come on. Sin isn't that big of a deal. Okay, he said don't eat that tree. Do you really think he's going to kill you for it? I mean, come on. Do you ever hear that kind of talk from Satan? Those, those lies? I mean, he loves you. He wouldn't let that happen to you. God does. Even though Scripture is clear that God hates sin and the wages of sin is death, Satan doesn't stop lying. Don't forget, our enemy is crafty and he's a liar. He lies, he creates confusion, he misrepresents God, he develops a false sense of confidence. And fourth, Satan's lies, his question, beautifies sin. Satan's question makes taking the fruit seductive. Look at verse 5 again. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The sad part here is that Satan is partially correct. They would become aware of right and wrong, but Satan is using it to tempt her to become more than God created her to be. He, he wants Eve to feel insufficient. If you just eat this, you'll be free of the limits that God has put on you. Go ahead and leave your wife. You'll finally be free. You know, let them have it, and you'll feel better. And, and they deserve it after all. It's okay to be angry with God. It's healing to let it all out. Satan promises freedom, and instead, Adam and Eve found shame. You see, sin never delivers. Relationships leave scars. Another helping makes us feel miserable for the night and may lead us to the hospital bed tomorrow. The new car, a bigger TV, grander vacation, a younger wife, all of it fades, leaving us empty if not more empty than we were before. I read this week this, this quote, and I like it. I want to share it. Selfishness and sin never keep their promises. I mean, 
that shouldn't come as a to a surprise for us. I mean, you know, it's like a, a child trying to survive surprise their parents. They can't, right? They can't keep it a secret. Likewise, it's very clear that after a life of experience, sin doesn't deliver. Just like the child in the birthday. Genesis three six through eight. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Sin changed everything. I mean, they were promised that eating the fruit would make them more than they were. But the reality is that they were perfect the way they were. They didn't need more. In fact, having more than they were given actually proved to be the downfall. It, it showed them that they couldn't have enough. That's the way it is with our sin. It, we believe that if we just had a little more, we'd be okay. Only when we get more the first thing we realize is that it's not enough. We believe that if we just had the right relationship, we'd be okay. Only when we find him or her, eventually, maybe years later, we realize that they don't have what we really need. We believe if we can accomplish a bit more, everything will change. But a bit more is always, always just out of reach. Another thing that we see in today's text that comes as no surprise Look at it again with me, verse 8 through 13. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Huh. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. <laughs> I like this. Blame shifting is a universal human disease, right? When the promise of being closer to God was broken, with the reality of sin, it actually separated Adam and Eve from God. Their reaction was much like you or I would react. In fact, I have reacted this way to much less serious situations. Adam blames God and his wife, the woman, you made me. Eve blames the serpent. Just where we get our excuse, the devil made me do it, right? Passing the buck. Passing the buck is something we're good at. It is a human sickness. We see it all around us, right? From our kitchen tables with our kids and spouses to boardrooms to politics. No one wants to be responsible. It is always somebody else's fault. But the reality is it was their fault. Each of them knew what to do and each of them chose to do what was right in their own minds, as Scripture tells us. We've all done this, right? Rationalize our sin, explain it, try to explain it away. Here's a simple check for you. Whenever you start a sentence with, I know I shouldn't, but, stop right there. 
Let the I know I shouldn't be the end of the sentence. Beyond that is more times than not sin. Remember what, what Paul wrote in Romans uh, 1 verse 20. In creation, God right, has revealed himself to every person on earth. So we are without excuse when we sin against him. We can't say, well, I didn't know. God, no, God reveals his holiness to us. That explains the shame and the hiding, but it also explains why our world is in such a mess. Let's read on to see God's response to this willful disobedience of Adam and Eve, right? And start in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And, and you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and to dust you are, and to dust you will return. Sin destroyed the perfect perfection of creation their rebellion right took away their ability to enjoy the good gifts of god it's the curse of sin what was to be a joyful relationship became an unequal partnership their stewardship of creation became work giving birth to new life became labor what was created as good became enslaved to sin selfishness and pride sin affected everything nothing and no one avoided the impact of this as paul wrote in, in romans five nineteen, for just as though disobedience of one man the many were made sinners so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous praise god for that yes you see no one is good we're all sinners as John Wesley put it, and I love when I came across this years ago, but was there not good mingled with the evil? Like, come on, really? There's a little good in everything, right? Was there not light intermixed with darkness? No, he says, none at all. God saw that the whole imagination of the human heart, the heart of man, was only evil. Only evil. Jesus said it this way in fewer words. He said, no one is good, only God is good. Think about it. Do you have to teach a child to disobey, to be selfish? No. It just comes natural to them, right? I mean, this, that's the sin nature that we all have. Thanks to the first sin of Adam and Eve, we, we have all, yes, you have inherited a nature of sin, and you love it, sin that is. But sin doesn't have the final word because God isn't finished. God had a plan. And while creation was very good, God actually had a plan for us to experience an even greater life, a life with Him in glory, a life with Him in a world described in the last two chapters of the Bible in Revelation that will simply blow your minds. You see, Satan thought he had the last word, that he had destroyed God's plan here in the garden. 
But in this rebuke, we see that God's plan was actually just getting set into, to, into motion with the temptation of Eve. We saw it in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is an allusion to Christ crushing the head of God's enemy once and for all. The crushing that, was, that, that began on the cross at the time of the crucifixion. I mean, it looked like Jesus had lost. Jesus was defeated. That Satan had finally won. While in fact, it was a mere striking at his heel. In the resurrection, Jesus would destroy death, destroy the power of sin. And in the end, in the resurrection of all, he will crush the head of Satan. We can't defeat sin on our own. Adam and Eve teach us that. But with Christ, we can. Relying upon Him, we can obey. Trusting in Him, God sets us apart for good works that He has had planned for us since before the creation of the world. In our sin, in their sin, look at how God responded to their sin in, in 21 to 24. Adam and his wife, He clothed them. And the Lord God said, Now, Man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the God banished him from the Garden of Eden to the work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed the man, or he placed at the Garden of Eden a cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. Amen, you see, grace, grace remains. While they had, they had rebelled against God, they had, they had rejected God, they had, God chose to clothe them. God loved them. Creation was God's plan. The fall was God's plan. The curse was part of God's plan. You are a part of God's plan. If you will trust him with your life, if you will trust him, you will experience the same grace. Just like Adam and Eve had fallen short, just as they had messed up and, and messed up everything, God didn't give up on them. His love remained. And just as for them, his love remains for you. Grace remains. No matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you or by you, no matter how you have intentionally chosen to rebel against God's will, His grace remains. The question is left for you to answer. And that how you answer the question can change your life. And that question is will you trust Him? Will you believe that God created for you to experience life with Him. Do you believe that? Do you want to believe that? Do you, do you know that sin is real? Do you, have you experienced that, that falling short in your life? You, you, you know that, right? You, you know that sin is a reality in your life. You can leave it behind. You can leave it behind today. What has marked your life in the past does not have to mark your life in the future. Surrender your life to Jesus today and begin to see your life changed. Start praying a prayer of surrender. I want to pray with you and ask you if you would to join me. Just offer your life to God. Just pray something like this. God, I, I know that sin is an issue and I know that I know that my sin is mine. I did it. I know things that were wrong and I did it anyway. Forgive me, Lord. Thank you for your grace that, that even though I've fallen, even though I messed up, 
Your grace is still being, you're, you're reaching out your grace to me, Lord. Today I reach out and I take it. I reach out and take your hand, Lord, and ask you to lead, guide, and direct my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that I can live a life that's pleasing to you, Father. Thank you for grace. I thank you for another chance. I thank you for another life. Lord, use my life. Use me for your glory. I love you and I praise you. If that's your prayer, if you want God to use your life today, if, if you want the direction of your life to change, just type the answer to the question is yes. Just type yes in the chat today, in the online, wherever you're watching this, YouTube, type in yes today. Amen. God bless you. Would you join me for our benediction today? We close our service every week with the same one. It's an adapted benediction from uh, Pastor Steve Howerson. Uh, join me. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe God needs me there. Wherever I am, I trust that God has put me there, that he has a purpose for me being there. Christ, alive in me, wants to do something through me, no matter where I am. I believe this, and I go in his grace and his love and his power. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic week, and I can't wait to see you soon, all right? Stay healthy, stay safe. Love you. Bye-bye.